Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with our pastor, Eric Zoner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. I'm your host, Will Leitner. I'm sitting here with my pastor, Eric Zoner. How are you doing? Hey, Will. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm really excited because today we're starting our second episode in our series on the five solos, the five alone to the Protestant Reformation. If you want to know about our first episode, you can watch it or listen to it. It's called on it's on Sola Scriptura. And today we're talking about sola gratia, grace alone. And so one of the passages that we had talked about previously was on Ephesians 2. So figure maybe before we start, I could read it out yeah, for us. Yeah, well, would you read that for us? So this is Ephesians 2. We're going to start in verse 1 and going down to verse 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even we were even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you so much, Will. That, that passage just greatly captures the substance of, of the doctrine of grace alone. It, it captures it in multiple ways. Um, it really does. Will, I don't know uh, if it's okay to start with some particular ideas related to this. Um, I think there's a lot of things that stand out from the text. Um, would you like to talk histor- historically, or would you like to talk per- first about the text? Um, let's talk about Ephesians 2 and kind of what okay. the implications it has. On, first off, what does sola gratia mean, and how do we see this evident in Ephesians 2? Sure. We, sola gratia it simply means that salvation is by grace alone. And that, uh, that statement, which seems so simple has to be held up against salvation by merit, like I've earned God's favor, or salvation by grace and merit. In other words, God was gracious to me, and then I also uh, earned his favor, right? But what we're saying in sola gratia is salvation is by grace, and that's it. Like it only is the merit given to us through Christ and his favor granted to us, because of Jesus and nothing else. And so uh, man is saved not because he's earned salvation, not because he ever could, but because God chooses to be gracious to some sinners. That's great. And so we were talking about how we can see, I guess you can see that in the Ephesians 2 passage with raising us up with him in the heavenly places to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Yeah, you've got, you know, from the very beginning, you've got Paul's first statement. Uh, I remember, I'm, I remember sharing this particular passage uh, at a uh, a church that did not believe in this doctrine, um, and they had asked me to speak, and and so I I asked them if they were okay with me using Ephesians, 
we all agree Ephesians is in the New Testament. We all agree that Ephesians is God's word. And so then I read this passage, you know, and the, the thing about Ephesians 2 is it begins with the concept that there is no possible way that we could save ourselves because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And then Paul says, in which you once walked. And, and the, the nature of things was such that you were following the course of this world, the, the power of Satan himself, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Um, and he, he says that we were following that spirit because that was who by nature we were. Uh, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But then at verse 4, he says, God being rich in mercy, this, this profound but God, but God being rich in mercy. And what was the reason that he was merciful? Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. And then here's his de uh, declaratory statement concerning that condition. By grace you have been saved. It could not be stated more clearly. It could not be more succinct and obvious. And so every effort that we have, either in our own hearts or in well-thought-out theological arguments, to add something else to the grace of God than is simply just grace, then we're always taking away from the grace of God. Right. I've heard it said that grace is undeserved kindness. Do you think that's a good way to define it? Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a great way to think about it. I, I sometimes um, have used a definition of mercy that is slightly different from grace. And that is that mercy would be uh, not getting what our sins deserve. And grace would be getting far better than our sins deserve. Right. Right. So when we talk about God's mercy and grace, it's two, it's two sides of that same coin. Um, in one sense, I really, having been a child of wrath, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, I really don't deserve any mercy at all. Mm -hmm. I deserve wrath. Um, and I was carrying out in my desires, in the body, in my mind, in my nature, things that deserve to be under God's wrath. Right. So then mercy means it's astounding that God did not smite me from the very beginning. Grace is not only did he not smite me, he chose to place his love upon me. Totally. And redeem me from who I was. So, yeah. I think it's so important, too, that we have to start with Ephesians 2 verse 1 as sort of the, that's where we build this whole idea of salvation by grace starts with the fallenness of man and I've, you know, we've heard it said before, like salvation is like the man swimming in the stream and the life raft gets thrown out to him. And I've heard it said before that that's a horrible picture. Really, we're actually dead on the bottom of the, the floor of the river. And yeah. it's God who actually chooses to come down and grab us. And we see this all throughout the history of the Christian church. And I know we had talked about an example of this that you see touch on some of that for us. Yeah. And, you know, Will, that's actually that verse one issue that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that's actually the place from which every other error about grace has always originated. So you and I were talking before the podcast about Augustine and Pelagius, and Augustine was the Bishop of Hippo in the, the third and fourth century, and he basically taught exactly what Ephesians 2 is teaching us, that man is born in bondage under Adam's original sin. He's totally incapable of choosing God, unless God, in his grace, should move toward man and change him. So that's why the, the life raft illustration doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You're not floating on top of the water with the capacity to grab the life raft. 
you're sinking and you're 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 dead at the bottom of the river, right? So um, Augustine teaches rightly from Ephesians two that God has to move in the heart of sinful man, and that and that when God does that, His grace is completely irresistible. There is no way for man to resist God. Pelagius comes along. He's a fourth century British monk, uh, and he becomes popular in Rome at the time because he's He's a man of great piety. He leads an ascetic lifestyle, which is really, um, according to Paul, it's always uh, gives a, a sense of value and wonder. Uh, but it, when Pelagius reads Augustine's writings, that's when Pelagius begins to go, wait a second, I disagree with these doctrines entirely. And, and the very place he starts is by disagreeing with the doctrine of original sin. Pelagius said that man is basically free in all his ways to choose good or evil. And because of that, uh, he simply thought of grace as an external add-on that's provided by God to help sinners. So for Pelagius, grace didn't mean what you and I have just talked about it meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, for Pelagius, when he talks about grace, he means free will. Uh, in other words, he means that the law of Moses and the teachings of Jesus are simply like a standard and, and we who want to follow God should just follow him right. by using those things, right? Um, and that's why Pelagius could say that grace, meaning free will, was offered to everybody. Because the law is held out there. Jesus' teaching is held out there. If you want to follow God, then all you have to do is follow those things. But since you're without original sin in Pelagius' point of view, then you completely miss the fact that you're not floating on top of the water with the capacity to grab the raft, you're dead. Mm -hmm. and, and you have complete and total, uh, not just weakness, but an incapacity to rescue yourself. Which, which means then the only way that we could be saved is solely on the basis of grace. That's exactly right. And I think that's the heart of what Paul's saying. You, you don't have a chance to be saved if it's hanging on to you to swim up to the top of the water and grab the raft. Right. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind when we're talking about this is how Tim Keller became uh, a Presbyterian is um, <laughs> when he went to visit R.C. Sproul, uh, the late R.C. Sproul, at uh, the Ligonier Teaching Valley. Um, he was doing these like weekly meetings with college students, and everyone would come and ask him questions. And a, um, a young lady asked Dr. Sproul about the doctrines of grace and how someone is saved. Is it, is it me choosing or is it God who's choosing? And Dr. Sproul said, well, do you have any unbelievers in your life that you live with? And she said, yes, of course. And he said, okay, what made you a Christian and made them not a Christian? And she said, well, I, was, I received faith. They did not receive. They weren't receptive to the gospel. I was receptive. He said, okay. What makes you more receptive than your roommates? She said, oh, well, I guess I was just more open to it. Mm. He said, okay, what made you more open to it? And he said, do you see where I'm going here? At some point, you either have to say, you have to reach a point where you say, I'm smarter, I'm more intelligent, I'm more open, I'm more willing, which is completely antithetical to the whole gospel message, which is it was all of God's doing. That's right. Because if it was up to your doing, Ephesians 2.8, then you'd be able to boast. And yeah. that's what convinced Tim Keller to, mm. to believe the doctrines of grace. And that's mm. why we all love um, the idea that we are saved by grace alone. What a great way to explain it 
also, because probably in all of us, there is something deep down that, that is tempted to think, well, I really did make a good decision to follow Jesus, right? But never tracing that back leaves you with a sense of pride. A true understanding of sola gratia, of, of, of the fact that salvation is by grace alone, a true understanding of that leaves you with the conclusion, I could never have gotten this by being intelligent, by tracking it down, by making a good decision. Uh, Will, in my own life, um, probably a solid three and a half or four years of college was filled with the concept that I had made a really good decision to follow Jesus. And I couldn't understand why other people were so stupid. Mm -hmm. Isn't that arrogant? All right. So, so as soon as I begin with that wrong-headed thinking, then I've actually claimed the power to find God for myself, which puts me in a seat of pride and makes me look around and go, why, why is everybody else not able to do what I was able to do? Mm -hmm. Well, you study Ephesians 2 and you suddenly realize, Eric, you weren't able to do it. You didn't save yourself. You didn't think up a good idea to choose God as if, as if following Jesus was a better option among other options. And so once you begin to catch this concept of grace, it, it not only eliminates boasting, it eliminates every ounce of pride. Totally. Um, but because of that, it shifts the focus entirely away from me, the recipient of grace, to God, the giver of grace, which means that he gets the glory. Totally. You know? um, and I think because of that, uh, Will, you've got, if, if God's the giver of grace and I'm not the chooser of grace, then it also adds another element to it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. it I mean, it, it suddenly means I can't lose it. Totally. So salvation is more assured, more certain, and so, truthfully, it's always where there's errors in an understanding of grace that we get errors in understanding um, perseverance. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And it makes me think of uh, Jonathan Edwards where he says, um, what was the one thing that we contributed to our salvation? Mm. The sin that made it necessary. Mm. And so since all we did contribute to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary, mm then we actually have a real true comfort when we do sin is that those are the very people that Christ came to save was sinners. He did not come to call the righteous, but the sick. Mm -hmm. And so now as a sick person, we can all say to him, be the glory because he's the one who con has conquered the salvation. Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, that's, that's so incredibly comforting, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. Um, well, you know, the other, the other part of this, after you read eight and nine, uh, of, of Ephesians 2, um, it, you know, of course, that says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, which is what we just said. It's not a result of works, and he gives you the application. That means uh, nobody can boast. But then he explains that concept of works in a way that, that fits the whole rest of Scripture. He says um, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So suddenly, um, the things that other denominations and, and people throughout church history who have been labeled um, as, as adding something to grace, those people who would be saying, it's grace plus my works that gets me salvation. Ephesians 2.10 says it's actually, it's actually entirely of grace, and if I understand who I am in Christ, created by him to do his good works that he prepared beforehand, here's, here's you and me and anybody who's, who belongs to Christ. We simply walk into this life that God has prepared that we might enjoy, and all the works are like crowns laid back at the feet of our king who provided all these good works. Right. When I think we have to say that most people agree that we're saved by grace, but it's just a matter of, is it only by grace? And is there a cooperation with that grace? Yeah. And obviously we agree that there must be that cooperation of grace. We must be his workmanship, but it's, does that cooperation merit my salvation? And, and we can say, no, what scripture testifies to is it's grace, grace, only by grace. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, you've got this, this question that hangs out there, right? Who gets the glory for this? If it's grace plus my works, then I get the glory. But if I understand Ephesians 2.10, then it's grace plus works that God prepared before that I get to walk in them anyway. Those works end up proving to me evidence of God's grace anyway, right? Otherwise, I would never come up with the concept of doing things that would be pleasing and acceptable to God. But the truth is, um, we get to walk in those because these works belong to God, right? So mm -hmm. that means that he gets the glory for them in the first and in the end. Right, which points to a solo will reach at some point, soli deo gloria, to, yeah. to be for the glory of God alone. That's so. right, that's right. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Sonder, for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk through Grace Alone, and we'll see you guys on our next episode when we talk about sola fide, by faith alone. That sounds great. Thank you, Will. Goodbye.